Welcome to Critical Issues Commentary, the podcast ministry of Gospel of Grace Fellowship, a non-denominational Christian church in St. Louis Park, Minnesota. This is Jessica Cremus, your host for today, and I'm speaking with Bob DeWay, Gospel of Grace's teacher and theologian and author of Critical Issues Commentary. Now, in this series, we are discussing prayer and specifically Priscilla Shearer's book on prayer, which is titled Fervent, and it's based on the movie the war room. And we discussed a little bit last week, this warfare view of prayer, which is really what this book is all about. This week, we're going to continue discussing that. And we are going to talk a little bit about the error in making prayer a part of the spiritual armor in Ephesians 6. And we're also going to talk a little bit about her idea that we need to know what Satan is doing in order to pray with precision. Now, in the introduction to her book, which she titles, This Means War, she makes the claim that praying with precision is key. Now, how would you respond to that? Do we need to pray with precision, knowing what Satan is doing in our life in order to get our prayers answered? As we mentioned a little bit last week, the key is not praying with precision, the key is trusting the promises of God that are given to all Christians, no matter what situation they're in, that we're blessed in Christ. Right. And so I wrote access to the throne of grace, where we make our petitions and our requests known to God, and he hears us, doesn't mean that we need to know details about Satan or anything else. We know what Satan generally is doing, which is getting us to not believe in the promise of God that in Christ we're blessed, our sins are forgiven, and we have the gift of eternal life. Right. Now, I'm going to share a little bit more from this this book because really the foundation is just wrong. And, And that's where we get off into this whole warfare worldview. She says here, get ready to pray. Because life is just too impossible otherwise. Yours, mine, everybody's. We simply don't have the luxury of playing nice with prayer. Not if we want things to change. Not if we want to be free from whatever's keeping us held down and held back. Not if we want our hearts whole and thriving and deep and grounded, different. Not if we want to reach our destinies and experience God's promises. Not if we want our husbands and children living out what God has called them to do and be and become. Not if we want a fence of God's protection around us. Not if we want to bear the unmistakable mark of his favor upon us. Not if we want the devil and his plans to go back to hell where they came from. And I wrote in the margin of the book, this is all what we have in the gospel. If we are saved, his favor is upon us. We've been transferred from the domain of darkness into the domain of Christ. What what we need to do is stand firm. And we don't need to find all of these things. Satan's not controlling what, what our husbands and children are doing. As a matter of fact, that, that long citation there tells me that therefore trusting the big promises that God will bring us to glory, that our sins are forgiven, and that 
Romans 8, 28, all the way to the end of the chapter, we talked about last week a little bit, that's not going to happen unless we, with precision, say, well, it has to be this way. What's this praying a hedge of protection? If we don't do that, does it mean we're not protected? That is, and it is such a really popular evangelical catchphrase and in, in whatever, you know, you can ask for a prayer about anything and someone will say, oh, I'm praying a hedge of protection for you. Or I'm, you know, you need to, before you send your kids off to school every day, make sure you pray a hedge of protection around them. That's not even an idea found in scripture. No. And uh, dear listeners, most of what is popular in the religious world of evangelicalism is more sentimental than scriptural. Right. And scripture misapplied or not believed is not helping us. It never, it, it, it actually causes a lot of problems. Right. And if we understand what the promises are and believe God and stand firm in what we know is true, we can always go to the throne of grace to find help in our time of need, and we can pray. Think about this as you're reading those uh, things, Jessica. I'm thinking about many of the things in both the Old and New Testament, whether it's the Psalms or look at the Barakah section. I'm using a Hebrew word. Eulogetes is a um, blessed be. Okay. A lot of the prayers are prayers of declaring that God himself is blessed in that he is loving and holy, and he has provided. Yes. Okay. And I, I preach a series, verse by verse through Ephesians, at our church, Gospel of Grace Fellowship, a couple of years ago, and it took over a year to go through. If you look at Ephesians 1, that whole first section where we have these blessings, it's about who God is, what he did, how he's provided for us, and that we're blessed in him. If we can't start out with a thankful attitude that we're in Christ, then what's the point of trying to figure out the details of what Satan is going to do, or what we might do if we were Satan? Right. You mentioned in our in our episode last week that she gets the promises backwards. We don't figure out what Satan is doing and then try and find a promise from God to match it. We rest in the promises of God and then we pray. Now, some have said, well, if that's true, that means you believe in doing nothing. That is true. You and you hear that all the time, but it's really not the case. We actually believe that that God wants us to bring our cares to him, that he wants to hear our prayers and answer them. We're just trusting the promises of God as we go boldly before the throne of grace in prayer and we make our needs known. Not that he doesn't already know them, but that it's our blessing and our privilege to ask a loving heavenly father for the things we need. Yes. And. If we start by the fact that if we have turned to Christ and been transferred out of the domain of darkness into the kingdom of his beloved son, and if we are blessed in Christ 
whatever the circumstances may be. And we have access to the throne of grace. And we know that there is a real battle going on. But standing firm is not the same as imagining what you would do if you were Satan. Right. And to think that if we had the right information and said the right prayers that are not even prescribed in the Bible, as you just mentioned, then we'd think, have a better outcome. That's really going to defeat a lot of people, in my opinion, because having lived through believing false teachings myself, such as Watchman Nee, that we've talked about, that if you're passive, then the demons will get you. We've talked about that. It always leads to a worse outcome. And many people have just given up and said, I don't know that this Christianity is even valid. Right. Because the promise isn't that if you say it right, do it right, have a strong will versus a passive will, or know what Satan is, is doing by revelation or imagining what he wants to do. That's not for us to know. It's for us to believe the broad promise applied to all believers of, for such things as forgiveness of sins, eternal life, that I'm with you, that I'll never leave you nor forsake you. The Lord is my helper, and I'm trusting in him. So the armor of God is evidence that we need to stand firm in the gospel, not find some secret saying so that Satan will leave us alone. Right. And of course, we're not saying don't pray for your husband or don't pray for your kids, but we are saying you don't need a specific precision prayer in order for to manipulate the outcome in their lives. We well, will pray for our husband and our kids as needs arise. Well, yes, and we can bring our needs to God. That's what the throne of grace is about. Yes. And we've said all along that there's a new paragraph. If you look at Ephesians 6, 17 to 18, there's a paragraph. Um, and do you want me to read that? Yes, go ahead. Verse 17 of Ephesians 6, and take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. Now, this is an analogy that tells us that we are saved and the word of God is inspired by the Holy Spirit. Okay. Okay. As we believe the promises and trust in them, that's what makes us safe. Not that we're going to take a sword and slice up Satan by saying certain things. Right. Okay. His role, even in, in the revelation, is being the accuser of the brethren, but he's accusing us before God. Right. And that is something that will come up later in this book. Okay. Mm -hmm. well, then go to verse 18. It says, with all prayer and petition, pray at all times in the spirit. And with this in view, be on the alert with all perseverance and petition for all the saints. And pray on my behalf that utterance may be given to me in opening of my mouth to make known with boldness the mystery of the gospel. Well, the mystery, I covered it, we've covered that, and many theologians that 
laid out Ephesians, I did a whole series on it, is something that wouldn't be known had God not revealed it, but the gospel is revealed. Yes. The mystery isn't what Satan's doing right now. Okay. We know what he's doing. Right. Anything will stop us from believing that our sins are forgiven, that we trust in Christ alone, and trusting in self rather than trusting in God, and so forth. So a lot of the strategies out there are taking our mind off of the fact that we're blessed in Christ and on to details that we can't know anyhow. Yes, exactly. And that's what we are dealing with here in this book. And she does make prayer as a part of the armor of God. We did actually do an entire episode just on that a year or so ago in the series on true and false spiritual warfare teachings. It was episode number 16, if anybody wants to go back and listen to that one. But you make the claim in that one that both, as you just said, this is there's a paragraph break there. Prayer isn't a part of the armor of God, but also the prayer in there is a prayer for gospel boldness, not a prayer against Satan. And if you look at the book of Acts, which I've been teaching for a long, long time, because we, in Sunday school, when I go through Acts, people interact, and that's our place to test things and make sure that we're on track and question whether the teaching is correct and somebody going through Acts. Well, what happened when persecution broke out in the early church? They prayed for boldness. Right. Okay. Why would we pray for boldness in the gospel? Not boldness talking to Satan. Right. Because the whole world is against the gospel. Yes. And if we have a grand scheme that we're going to solve the world's problems, and that's been proposed so many different times, and we're going to make your life better, we're going to give you purpose, we're going to make you happy. We're going to give you your best life now. And you don't need boldness because that's what they want to hear anyhow. Okay, right. Uh, it's as if uh, you can go to a seminar on how to become Job's comforters. But as a matter of fact, the boldness is necessary because Satan's lie has always been the same. You can be like God. Yes. You can sin and not die. You don't have to believe what God said. So the, the, the sin that so easily besets, besets us is unbelief. And unbelief is that we don't believe that God has sent his plan of salvation. And we must preach the gospel. And we must have the doctrine of Christ correct. And the promise is forgiveness of sins and eternal life, not that those who trust God have everything go in a very nice manner in this life. Right. And we mentioned in the series last year, quite a few times, we're not, it, it, it's not about symptom relief. It, <laughs> it's about standing firm in Christ and trusting the providence of God and trusting the promises of God and walking by faith bad things will happen in our life, but we can't determine spiritual realities by the situations we find ourselves in. Right. And we know that from 
the entire Bible. Yes. Did God promise symptom relief if we know what Satan is likely doing? No. And the verse you shared last week about Paul and his thorn in the flesh is a really a good example of that. He, yeah. yeah. Should we read? Why don't, why don't you, do you have that verse handy? Why don't you read that real quick, just as a refresher? Well, when Paul went directly to God and uh, he implored the Lord three times that it might leave me and there's a lot of supposition about what the thorn in the flesh was, certainly a messenger from Satan, or messenger's angel, by the way. But okay. It, it was an angel. Maybe it's a person that was tormenting him. There's a lot of speculation. But what's the answer? He has said to me, my grace is sufficient for you, for power is perfected in weakness. Then he said, most gladly, therefore, I'd rather boast about my weaknesses so that the power of Christ may dwell in me. Now, he also knew why it was sent, why the messenger came, to keep me from exalting myself. Right. It was for Paul's own good. Right. And that theme goes throughout the Bible, but particularly revealed in the New Testament. It's in the Gospels. It's in Luke. We want to call down fire. They were rejoicing that the demons are subject to them. Jesus said, don't rejoice in that, but rejoice that your names are written in the book of life. Yes. Okay. Now, looking at the bigger scheme, and I've been preaching through Luke, Acts. I'm done with Luke and Acts and now in Ephesians, and we have other things going on. But the theme is the same. Would you say that? There's two thieves being crucified with Jesus, and one of them is blaspheming him. The other eventually repented and said, remember me when you come into your kingdom. Yes. said, today you'll be with me in paradise. Now, was the second thief blessed even though he did die and he suffered? Right. Yes. This is not based on no knowledge of particulars. What did you read there, Jessica? Praying with precision is the key? Right. Well, then how do you know? The goal is to, one of the things was pray a hedge of protection. Yes. Heard that for a long time. Why not just start out by thanking God that you know him and trusting that we need his help to do anything it would bring glory to him. And we don't know the details of what's going on. Right. In the world of the spirits. Um, and we don't need to. That's not our realm. We should not go digging around in it, trying to figure things out. And the other thing is, though, per- perhaps not stated here, but many people draw this conclusion. If things go badly, which they do because we live in a fallen world, does that mean we didn't do it right? Has anybody asked this particular author that question? Have you seen that? Not that I know of. But Job's comforters had the default position. Right. Has anyone ever suffered being righteous? What's their 
answer to their rhetorical question or whoever said that? Well, we haven't seen that. Yeah. Well, actually, they were seeing it because um, Job, if you read the book of Job, he didn't know why this was happening. They didn't know why it was happening. The reader knows because you read chapter one of Job. Okay. Considered a yeah. Job. The knowledge of the particulars didn't help. What we need to know, I'm going to use the word know two ways. Okay. One way to say no is knowledge of facts or details. Okay. There's another worse, excuse me, there's another use of the word to know, and that's relational. Right. Okay. If you know God relationally by faith and your sins are forgiven, you have the relationship. Yes. And God takes care of us, and whatever comes our way, we have access. But God determines what's for our best uh, good in terms of bringing him glory and us to glory and caring for us. Yes. So really in her introduction here, she's talking, I'm going to just quote this and then we're going to move on to the strategies that she's come up with. But she says, we pray because our own solutions don't work and because prayer deploys, activates, and fortifies us against the attacks of the enemy. Well, I think we've shown that it's actually being in Christ and it's the gospel that fortifies us against the attacks of the enemies. Therefore, we pray because we can stand firm in what we have in Christ. That's really where we have to draw the line and just stand firm right here. This is what I have in Christ. Therefore, I can make my request known to God. I can come boldly before the throne of grace. Yeah. Now, now with this warfare worldview, she does an interesting thing. And I'm glad she says so up front because it should make us pause and just think about this a little bit. So she says in her book, as she's describing how she's come up with these strategies that Satan uses again against us, she pulled a large cross-section of women, asking them to tell the primary ways the enemy attacks them. After boiling down all their answers into the most common categories of responses, I ended up with what I believe to be a top 10 of his favorite strategies. So she's determined the mind of Satan by polling women. Can we, can we even do that? Does that work? That is it. No, what you are getting in the poll are human problems that people would like to have solved. Is that correct? Yes. But that, and the assumption underneath then is that Satan is responsible for these problems. I would suggest anyone who, if the book sold many, many copies, um, it's a lot, which is yes. Not, okay. So therefore, I would read what we know in Scripture for sure, not allegorize Scripture and so on. What does the Scripture say and what's happened when others have gone through trials? And what was the answer? What did God say to Job and his comforters at the end? Were you there when I? Yeah. He, he, he puts them in their place, and Job says, I repent in yes. dust and ashes. And Yeah, read the text. It really helps. Yes. And 
in this case, you can't find out, say, the strategy by pull, taking a poll of what people go through. And there are many things we could talk about. One and two, Peter talks about this, James. There are many passages about this. We can okay. do other trials. But if you don't have one broad category, and we know what Satan's goal is from Scripture. Right. To keep us in the darkness by whatever means, believing the lie. Yes. Okay. Let's get it real simple. Two messages in the world. The lie, the truth. Okay. The lie is you can be like God. You can sin and not die. That's the message of Antichrist, if you look it up, the lie. Yes. I preached through that one time. I have a slide on it. What's the truth? That God is who he claims to be, the triune God of the Bible, the creator. He sent Jesus Christ, the Son, the eternal God, who God the Son, who came into our world, proved who he was, died for sins once for all. I mentioned born of a virgin when I preached the gospel. He bodily was raised from the dead. He shed his blood to remove sins for those who trust him, sent into heaven. He's coming back to bring judgment. Okay. Truth is the gospel of Christ. Jesus said, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. He didn't say, let's take a poll, see what your strategy should be. <laughs> right. If you believe in him and trust him, and you have eternal life, and you believe the promises of God, even though we all fail along the way, God gets us up and we keep going, then we know the outcome. Yes. And there are people who have things really nice. I remember some years ago, many years ago, probably before the internet, there was a big article in the op-ed of the paper the paper in the Twin Cities here, and the the thing said they're soon going to be able to live 150 years. We're reading breakthroughs in science, and uh, I've seen that also discussed on TV. And once these breakthroughs happen, we won't need religion. Okay. Now, my response to that is. Well, great. So they figure out how to get you to 150, which won't happen. 120 is the limit, according to the Old Testament, until there's a resurrection. But what if you get hit by a train before you get to 50? Right. Where, we, we just can't control that. No. And so there are people who live in over, over 110 years old who have been asked, well, what's the secret to your longevity? Um Brats, beer, and having fun. Yeah. Have you seen that? Yep. Okay. It's all based on the idea that things go nicely. That's great. Okay. It's not. You can have a really nice life on the way to hell, and you can have a really hard life on the way to heaven. Right. Those are just circumstances. Yeah. And so is there a promise in the Bible that Christians have less trials than non-Christians? Nope. No. So this is really 
we don't know anyone's motives, including the author of this book, Fermat, but the truth is going to give people more hope and comfort than our supposition about what Satan would do. If I was Satan, here's what I would do. Right. Because we can only know his intent through what's revealed in scripture. Yes. And really, you know, we, we have a choice to make. We can choose to keep our eyes on Christ and choose to believe the promises of God and choose to stand firm in the gospel and trust God is working things out in our life for our good and for his glory. Or we can choose to keep our eyes on Satan and try to figure out what he's doing and try to figure out how we need to pray against him. But we can't keep our eyes on both. We're either keeping our eyes on Christ or we're worrying about Satan. And when we're doing that, we're not standing firm by faith in the truth of the gospel. We can only stand firm. And that's found. Let me read Ephesians 6, 11. Put on the full armor of God so that you will be able to stand firm against the schemes of the devil. Now, this doesn't mean saying things like, now I'm putting this on, now I'm putting that on. The schemes of the devil are to get us to not believe in Christ and to persevere by his grace and to go to God. Yes. Now, the rest of it is assuring us that as we trust that, and if you don't read Ephesians 1, then you don't believe that you're blessed if you are in Christ. Okay. And then you get down when everything's contingent on us knowing things that aren't actually revealed. Right. Okay. We are out of time for this edition of Critical Issues Commentary Radio. You can access this episode and many others, as well as years worth of articles at the website, cicministry.org. While you're there, click on contact and send us a message. We'd love to hear from you. We want to remind you all to stand firm with one mind and one spirit and strive together for the faith of the gospel. For Critical Issues Commentary, this is Jessica Kramis. And Bob DeWay. We'll see you next week.